You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verder. I'm alongside Josh Hill. And we are entering the best weekend in the NFL, in my opinion, the divisional round. We get four games, eight good teams. Well, at least six good teams, maybe seven, depending on how you look at it. But regardless, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. We had a wild, wild card weekend. Everybody thought the home teams would hold serve. Not the case. So, Josh, what was your takeaway from the week that was in the NFL? My big takeaway was uh, the Falcons are basically already in the NFC Championship game because uh, on the podcast last week, I mentioned that I think the Rams could go out there and maybe get something done. But, you know, the more you thought about it, the, and I think you mentioned this too, the Falcons are just a veteran team. you got Dan Quinn. You've got Matt Ryan. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, Devontae Freeman's running like he's beast mode 3.0. So the Falcons look like they're the team that could – conceivably be a problem for whoever meets them in the NFC Championship game. No disrespect to Philadelphia, but just everything that you saw out of Atlanta in Los Angeles on Saturday night indicates that whatever Super Bowl hangover narrative you want to try to drape on them, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's just a narrative. It's not affecting them whatsoever. The defense played well. Matt Ryan didn't turn the ball over at all. That was key. Uh, it's a week-by-week week thing, though, so we're going to see. Who knows? Maybe uh, all of this talk about how you know, I believe the Falcons are favored to win, according to the odds. Um, yep. I wonder if all of that talk maybe gets to the Eagles and they use that as motivation. But to me, the Falcons, you know, I'm an NFC guy, so I guess I was looking more more on that side of things. That's what stood out to me. What about you? What stood out to you? 
A few things. I thought, look, the, the thing that stood out to me, and I'll, I'll touch on the Falcons here a little bit, was I, I picked the Falcons. I was 3-1 and one this weekend in my picks. Uh, anyone who listens to this can imagine what my, my one loss was. <laughs> Although it shouldn't have been. I should have been smart enough to know. Uh, the, the Falcons, I, I think experience matters in the playoffs. That was, you know, my takeaway for them personally. I, I thought, you know, the Rams played a little tight early in the game, a couple of turnovers, and they never really recovered. Jared Goff didn't have a particularly good game. Uh, but the Rams will be back. The, the Rams are a very good young team. That's not a fluke. That team will be, I expect them, right back where they were, uh, if not even better, frankly. But my biggest takeaway from it all was, that, that, you know, and I, this is going to be, I guess, somewhat self-serving, but, but Kansas City, um, the Kansas City choke is a very real thing. And I think as a Chiefs fan all my life, I've, I've been well aware of that. I, I wrote about it extensively in my Stack in the Box column, so I won't go too into it, but... I think my takeaway was that the Chiefs need to change and change radically. Like, that that team is very talented. I think anybody would agree with that. The Chiefs are probably one of the more five or six talented teams in the NFL, top to bottom, you know, especially when healthy, when, you know, Eric Barry's there, guys like that. But they need to change, and I think they're going to. I think you're going to see some very big changes in Kansas City this offseason. Andy Reid won't go anywhere, but Matt Nagy took a job on Monday morning uh, with the Chicago Bears as their head coach. So congratulations to him. I think he's going to do a wonderful job with Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago. Brad Childress is retiring, uh, and yeah, he was kind of a second-in-command there to read offensively alongside Matt Nagy. So those two guys were the co-offensive coordinators two years ago. They're both gone. I look for Eric Bien-Aimé, uh, which, who, by the way, had my – Chris Berman, his, his favorite nickname was Sleeping with bien on NFL <laughs> Prime Time. So I'm, I'm, I'm all kinds of pumped for that. But I think it's good. bien if you ever know anything about him, he is – he is a very in-your-face kind of guy. And I think the Chiefs could use that. And defensively, I expect them to fire defensive coordinator Bob Sutton after five years and move on. Mike Pettin's a name I've heard surface. Uh, he observed the practice or two uh, last year with the Chiefs. So, But, but my takeaway, yeah, I think, I think the Chiefs are going to change quite a bit. Led by, by the way, Patrick Mahomes is going to be in there. Alex Smith is gone. Uh, not that it was his fault, but he's going to be collateral damage. Yeah, and that kind of leads into our, uh, our segment that we like to do, uh, What's the Story, where we figure out the narratives, where things are going, and kind of predict, look into our crystal ball, our crystal football, and see where things are going to be in a couple of weeks. And let's, I mean, we're going to get to the Hall of Fame, but let's start with Alex Smith here. What's the story with Alex Smith? So Nagy takes the job in Chicago. They have Mitchell Trubisky. The idea kind of was wherever Nagy goes, presumably I thought it was going to be Cleveland, Alex Smith is going to follow him. Now that he's going to Chicago, it doesn't look like they're going to be a package deal. So, you know, what's the, what's the story with Alex Smith? Where does he go now that Nagy, a guy he was kind of, we thought we were going to be tethered to, is going somewhere he's clearly probably not going to go? I, look, Alex Smith to me is... Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. The most likely destinations are Cleveland, or Arizona, uh, which Ian Rapport reported, but I've Frankly, I mean, we've been talking about that for a while as two likely mm-hmm. destinations. Everybody's going to connect dots and say Jacksonville. I, I do not think the Chiefs are going to trade him to Jacksonville. Jacksonville is one quarterback away from being a real honest-to-God Super Bowl season when he's with the Chiefs. Wouldn't be surprised if they go that route again. But my favorite would be Arizona. I, 
I know Denver needs a quarterback. I can't imagine the Chiefs would trade him to Denver. The only way I could see that is if Denver just grossly overpays for him, like a first-round pick or something. But I, I can't imagine that being the case. I think the Chiefs will trade him to somebody that they view as not an immediate threat. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of him going to Cleveland still just because of the John Dorsey thing. Um, my fear is, and I was kind of looking at some mock drafts this weekend too, and some people are starting to suggest maybe that the Browns pass on a quarterback number one overall because Hugh Jackson could go to bat and try to get, you know, A.J. McCarron or somebody there. So maybe their quarterback isn't going to be Josh Rosen or whoever. And so maybe they do end up going that Alex Smith route. You never know. Um, but, yeah, I do agree that they're not going to give him to Jacksonville. As perfect as that would be, maybe that's going to end up working out for Jacksonville in the end. Uh, Verderan, what's the story with John Gruden? He's left ESPN. Now, this isn't necessarily John Gruden-related. What's the story with the person who's going to replace him in the booth? So right now, I was looking at some odds. You know, Steve Young, Matt Hasselbeck, those are good ideas right there. Um, if you've listened to any of the, I believe there was a couple of Saturday games. Uh, Curtin Warner was on some of those Saturday NBC games with Mike Tirico. He did pretty well. He's called some games before. You've got other guys like Lewis Riddick who are at ESPN. You know, this is kind of a shot in the dark type of thing. But this, these, these opportunities to have a opening on a massive platform like Monday Night Football don't come up very often. So off the top of your head, who could, they, who could ESPN say to us that would excite you as a replacement for John Gruden? I don't know if they're going to go this route. I think Randy Moss is really, really good Ooh. on TV. I think Moss is smart, and he, he picked the Titans for the game against Chiefs, and that's not why I think that. But his reasoning for it, he went into personnel groups and schemes and why Tennessee's a tough matchup. Now, look— yeah, he, he looked foolish at halftime. But my point is, even if he had been wrong, like he had real reasons behind it. He had real thought behind it. And I, and I respect that. A lot of guys speak in generalities. Even if they're NFL players or ex-NFL players, they don't go deep into the game. Some of them just flat out can't, honestly. They got by on a lot of talent and just enough smarts. I think Randy Moss would be really interesting. I, I think it would be a new dynamic for ESPN. Like I said, I don't know necessarily if they're going to go that route, but I, I would love to see that. Yeah, Randy Moss is always a favorite of mine. He's always a good talker. And like you said, the way that he was breaking down the schemes and the things that he was, the reasoning for picking Tennessee, that to me really stood out because he, and he's a really good guy as far as like the chemistry he has. They've got he, Charles, him and Charles Woodson have that show on ESPN3 or whatever it is. So like he, he'd be a good option. I just feel like, you know, they're going to go a route like a Steve Young, or they're going to call somebody up like that. God forbid it's Rex Ryan. Somebody needs to hire Rex Ryan in the NFL just so they don't, they're not even tempted by putting him in the booth. Um, although people that don't like Sean McDonough might wish that kind of hell on him. But, you know, Randy Moss, it's a really good option. To me, Melissa Jacobs brought this up, actually. She's been on the show before, a good friend of ours. Uh, I, this isn't completely not possible. But could you imagine if ESPN just backed up the Brinks truck to get Nance and Romo on Monday Night Football? And she made a good point. She was like, that, you know, it was a little jokey, but her point was like, that completely changes the face of Monday Night Football. And that almost harkens back back to the old uh, Al Michaels, John Madden days when it was on ABC. That would be really good. I don't think that could, you know, any conceivable way it would happen. But if, you know, I'm at ESPN and there's any kind of sniff of a notion that you can get Nance and uh, Romo. Oh, Nance would never leave because he loves doing the Masters and stuff like that hello but. friends <laughs> welcome to the masters oh, get man. ready to go to sleep for seven hours good old Jim um Nance. listen I, I i agree with you but they're not going anywhere cbs would fight oh, them yeah. to the death especially with romo how oh, successful yeah. he's been but i agree like you speak to a larger point and we'll move off this here in a sec but 
when I was a kid and you were like, like when we were younger, Monday Night Football was the showcase. And certainly mm-hmm. for our parents, you know, they, back in the 70s, 80s, and even, you know, early 90s, like, that was the showcase in football. Monday Night Football was everything. And now, to me, look, Sunday Night Football, that's the big game. That's the biggest game of the week. And I think part of it is ESPN has uh, done a horrible job with the schedule. Now, I know SNF gets the first pick. NBC gets that right. But ESPN, a lot of times, it's like they pick like the ninth best game of the weekend. Like, you got to do better than that. You got to make the game matter. And they, they failed at that. And I think, look, McDonough doesn't do a bad job. But, you know, and there's nothing in Sean McDonough. But when you hear Sean McDonough, you don't think like, oh, huge game. I got to watch this. Mm-hmm. You hear Al Michaels, you know it's a big game. Jim Nance, Joe Buck, the big game. If those guys are calling your team, your team matters. Sean McDonough, he might be calling the Colts game. Yeah, more often than not, he usually is. Yeah, I think, you know, ESPN. I think they need to really start marketing Monday Night Football better. Because like you said, nothing against McDonough. He's a good announcer. I mean, he didn't rise to the ranks of Monday Night Football, you know, on goodwill. You know, he, he cut his teeth. He's really good. So hopefully they, they can figure something out with Monday Night Football. John Gruden's on to the Raiders, of course. Quickly, we're not going to get too into it. Where do the Raiders finish next year in the AFC West with John Gruden? Third. There you go. Sorry, Raider Nation. All right, the last one. What's the story with the Hall of Fame? Okay, the finalists are announced this weekend or this past week, 15 of them. It will be whittled down one more time, and then we're going to hear uh, who actually is the class of 2018. I believe it's before, uh, either before or during <clears throat> the NFL honors the night before the Super Bowl. Uh, before the show, we put together our, uh, super, or our uh, Hall of Fame classes out of everybody. If you'd like to find out the finalists, you can Google it. Uh, we're just going to boil down to the brass tacks here. My Hall of Fame class, Ray Lewis, I think, is the lock. Yeah. No, he, he's on everybody's list. Uh, Brian Erlacher, however you may feel about the uh, hair plug uh, billboards that are up around Chicago. If you live in Chicago, my God, you see Brian Erlacher in his sleep. Everywhere. Those billboards are Everywhere. And I don't recognize him because he has a full head of hair. All, all the years I watched him growing up, bald head. But it would be cool to have him, a really you know, big linebacking force of the 2000s, go in with Ray Lewis. They, they were kind of one-two. That was nice. I've also got Tony Baselli on there. He was an offensive tackle for the Jaguars. Kind of one of those sleeper picks where he wasn't, you know, he was a big name. I remember growing up watching football in the late 90s and you know it was kind of partial to the Jaguars because I fell in love with the Bucks, and for some reason I have an affinity for bad Florida teams that will always break your heart but Tony Baselli was an offensive tackle who was a name that I knew and you I, I could not rattle off many offensive tackles or offensive linemen or whoever but Tony Baselli was a guy that you knew and that's because he was really good and there's no there's no coincidence that the Texans decided to take him in that expansion draft to kind of build their franchise around so I think he gets in as well John Lynch I'm partial to that because I'm a Buccaneers fan uh I think that his his job that he's doing with the 49ers kind of helps him if he doesn't get in this year I think a few more years helping the 49ers front office is going to make the case he it's a matter of uh when not if now for John Gruden because he had such a great career as a player and now he's putting together a great career as an executive so I think that really helps him and of course Randy Moss we mentioned him earlier with the ESPN thing Uh, straight cash homie was something that was routinely uh, recited when I was growing up in Minnesota he was so fun to watch and we've talked about him uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Antonio Brown and whether or not he's the best wide receiver the last 25 years and everybody seems to sleep on Randy Moss for some reason just the things that he did with the amount of catches that he had uh, and the quarterbacks that threw to him 
I remember one of his greatest games that I was watching, the 1998 Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys. And I believe he caught like two or three passes. They were both touchdowns, and he went well over 100 yards. Uh, that's Randy Moss in a nutshell. And then you take a look at he's got Dante Culpepper throwing to him, whoever they had out there in Oakland throwing to him. Uh, his best season was with Tom Brady, no coincidence. Um, he goes to a Super Bowl with the 49ers. Like Randy Moss is the greatest receiver of the last 25 so years, if you're not counting in Jerry Rice. And he deserves, I know the, the Hall of Fame is finicky about putting in wide receivers. They usually have to wait a while. But if there's a case to make for a first ballot Hall of Famer at wide receiver, it's Randy Moss. So that, that's my class. What about you, Verderam? Uh, I'll, I'll be quick with it. Look, I agree with you, Lewis, to me, is a no-brainer. And I, I think Moss is, too. Like, if, if Randy Moss doesn't get in the Hall of Fame in his first try, nobody should. Mm-hmm. Randy Moss is a generational talent. Uh, other than Jerry Rice, in my opinion, he's the greatest receiver of all time. I, I don't think anybody could touch him. He was, when motivated, the most dominating player maybe of the last 20 years in some way. He, he really was spectacular. So I would have Lewis and Moss both in there. And then I'm going with Steve Hutchinson, who was a guard, uh, played for Seattle, played yeah. for Minnesota, finished up in Tennessee for uh, the 2012 season. Look, Hutchinson was unbelievable. He was a seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, second-time, uh, second-team uh, All-Pro twice, excuse me. Uh, I think he belongs in. He was part of one of the great lines that gets forgotten. He was alongside Walter Jones in Seattle. Mm. They, they could block. Uh, not not a bad line. Not shocking that Seattle had some success there. You know, maybe made Matt Hasselbeck feel pretty comfortable. And Sean Alexander, MVP season behind them. So Hutchinson to me. Hurry into Mattress Firm's best Memorial Day sale ever. Get a king bed for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin and save up to $500 on Sealy. Plus, get a free adjustable base with qualifying Sealy purchases up to a $4.99 value. Or shop Tempur-Pedic, the most highly recommended bed in America, and save up to $500 on adjustable mattress sets in stock for immediate delivery. And get a $300 instant gift. Talk to a sleep expert today. Only a Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details. It's his first year as a finalist, but I think he belongs in. And then after that, you can kind of go back for the TOs on the list. I'm partial to Isaac Bruce. I think Isaac Bruce is maybe the most underrated player of the last 15 years. He was a phenomenal talent. I think he gets in, but I don't think he gets in right away. I'd go with John Lynch. Uh, I'm not a Bucks fan, so I'm not partial here, but I thought John Lynch deserves it. Nine-time Pro Bowler, uh, four-time All-Pro, three times on the first team. He was he was a phenomenal talent. To, to me, he gets forgotten on that defense a little bit because of Sapp and because of Brooks, already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think Lynch joins them this year. And then, you know, for my fifth guy, who I think also should get in, there's a lot. You could go with Edron James, Round Fanica. Uh, you know, for my money, I, I think Ty Law should get in. Ty Law had 53 picks in his career, obviously part of that dynastic team with the Pats, a big part of it. Um, five-time Pro Bowler, only two-time All-Pro, but that's a tough position to make All-Pro at. Uh, you know, that it really is. I, I think Ty Law absolutely deserves... Uh, a Hall of Fame uh, jacket, and I, I think he gets one. So those are five guys I think should get in, and I'll throw this in quickly. The senior committee this year has Jerry Kramer on the list. Jerry Kramer better get in the Hall of Fame. Oh, that yeah. is a joke that that guy's not already in. I wrote a piece years ago back when I was at SB Nation. I, I did a long for him. Uh, his daughter's been campaigning to get him in for more than a decade now. Jerry Kramer is the only player that was on the NFL's 50th anniversary team, made up in 1969, that is not in the Hall of Fame. And that team, by the way, they didn't even put two guards. They put one. 
He was the guard. He was picked as the, as the greatest guard in the first 50 years of the NFL, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Put Jerry Kramer in the Hall of Fame. Well said. I mean, we're going to find out who's getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, the NFL honors, which is the night before the Super Bowl. Before we get to the Super Bowl, we got to get through the playoffs, and we just went through wild card weekend. We're into the divisional round, Verderam. Let's break down the odds. Okay, let's do it. So let's go and order the games. First game to be played, Atlanta at Philadelphia. This game's historic from the standpoint this is the first time that a number one seed is an underdog in the divisional round. Uh, the Falcons come in as two-and-a-half-point favorites. You can understand why. The Falcons, defending NFC champions, they're hot at the right time. The Eagles are not. Carson Wentz, of course, going down a month ago at that torn ACL. A brutal blow, probably a fatal blow to any Super Bowl hopes they had. And so Vegas not showing much love for Nick Foles. Um, what, what do you see in this game? I, I see an Atlanta team that really... I think, frankly, should take care of business. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned it at the top of the show, but Atlanta just seems like they are getting it right at the right time, not to the degree where it's like, you know, the, the Packers in 2011 went on a run. And I, I wrote a piece for Fanside over the weekend that kind of compared the two. Um, the paths are similar in that the, the Falcons seem to know how to stay out of their own way. And as long as you do that, you'll be fine. Like, you don't have to overthink it. Like, yeah, you, you hear all these things about the playoffs. You got to beat teams multiple ways. You hear a lot of, you know, NFL talking heads say you got to play left-handed and all this kind of stuff. The Falcons didn't turn the ball over, and they played just the tightest football they could against the Rams, and they won. You're going into Philadelphia. You're on the road. You're against the one seed. But like you said, Nick Foles is the quarterback. So right there... Your defense is not intimidated by having to go up against Carson Wentz, wondering what he's going to do. Outside of that, they don't really have too many weapons that stick out. You know, they're not, a, they're not like the Saints, who you have to account for Ingram and Kamara, and then you have to worry about Michael Thomas, and you have to worry about Ted Ginn. You know, the, the Eagles, it's Jay Ajayi, which is fine, okay? Then you've got Alshon Jeffrey. Outside of that, it's kind of like a hodgepodge of, yeah, maybe they'll have a good game, maybe they won't. And even those two guys, maybe they will, maybe they won't, especially with Nick Foles. So for me, I see a, a Falcons team going up here that is confident. They've shook off whatever Super Bowl hangover narrative you want to drape over them. And they can see this path to the Super Bowl because if they get through Philadelphia, which is clearly very easy according to the odds and according to the eye test of looking at both teams, then they're going to match up against either Minnesota or Atlanta or uh, Minnesota or New Orleans. Those are both winnable games. New Orleans is a familiar opponent. They've already seen Minnesota once, and they're kind of a different team now. I think that Dan Quinn, this goes down to something else we said before, Dan Quinn is a better coach than Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson, nothing against what he's done this year. It's been a phenomenal turnaround for this team. I don't think anybody at the beginning of the season thought that Philadelphia would be hosting the number one seed playoff game this weekend. That being said... I, just, I feel like, you know, Dan Quinn going up against two rookie head coaches in back-to-back -back weeks, that's a really lucky draw if you're a Falcons fan. And I think that they're going to come out of it with the win. I do, too. Look, I, I think that the, the only way the Eagles win this game is if the defense completely takes over, specifically the front seven. They're going to have to harass Ryan all game long. They're going to have to stop the combo of Devin, uh, of, of Devin Coleman and Devonta Freeman. Nobody's guarding Julio Jones in this game. Ronald Darby's a nice no. corner. He is not guarding Julio Jones. They don't have the safeties to help with over the top. I understand safeties are good. Malcolm Jenkins, nobody's taking it away from him. But, look, it's nothing against the Eagles. Julio Jones is pretty much impossible to guard at times. So, he's going to get his. The question for me is, can the Eagles just get to Ryan and cause issues? Can they get him into a strip sack? Can they force him into a pick or two? Because Ryan has thrown some picks. 
But that's what they're going to have to do. They are not going to win this game scoring 30 points. Nick Foles is not good. You mentioned all their all their playmakers or lack thereof. Uh, I think Philadelphia is going to have a hard time scoring 20 points in this game. I think Atlanta will get there. I think it's about a 23-16 to 16 type of game. I don't think it's a blowout. I think Philly plays hard. I think it matters if the game's in Philadelphia and it's cold. But I think the Falcons come away with the win. And if they do, they're one step away from being a back-to-back representative of the NFC, although they would have to go on the road to Minnesota or New Orleans, a much tougher test uh, than, than Philly. So uh, I agree with you. I think Atlanta wins. And one thing to remind some folks out there with Atlanta, Atlanta can play defense. Like people, I think, look at the Falcons and always think of them as this offensive team, this soft dome team. The Falcons have a very good defense. Adrian Claiborne is very good. We get nine sacks this year. Uh, Grady Jarrett can play inside. Desmond Trufant's the best corner you haven't heard about. You know, I mean, Deion Jones is a tremendous linebacker in a second year at LSU. The Falcons are extremely fast. They might be the fastest defense in the NFL. So, uh, Robert Alford, another corner, Keanu Neal at safety. They, they can play. The yeah, Falcons we, are a very good defensive team. They didn't even mention Vic Beasley. So, like, right, exactly, <laughs> you right. forget about I mean, him in the shuffle. How so. many guys are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. Like, the Falcons are loaded defense. And I think sometimes it gets overlooked because everybody thinks of them as an offensive team. Yeah, I mean, Dan Quinn's defensive head coach. He came from that Seattle mold. And a lot of, you know, when they were going up and making this uh, postseason rise a couple of years ago in his first year, parallels were drawn between the Legion of Boom and what the Falcons are doing. And, you, you know, it's hard to replicate the Legion of Boom because it, it, you're replicating one of the greatest defenses in football history. But you can take that mold and you can fit certain players in there. And like you just said, you got Keanu Neal, you've got Deion Jones, you've got, you know, Desmond Trufant, all of these guys that are just really, really good. And it's kind of, you know, ironic that Dan Quinn has come over and installed this kind of uh, every man's defense because one of the reasons, and I've heard, uh, I believe I read a piece about this on The Ringer a couple of weeks ago, about how it's unfortunate that Richard Sherman and, uh, you know, Earl Thomas and all these guys in Seattle never won Defensive Player of the Year, despite the fact that they were on one of the greatest defenses ever. And it's because... All of them were so good that none of them stood out. And that's not a bad thing because they went to back-to-back Super Bowls. And I see a lot of that in this Falcons team where you don't really know any of the guys individually. You just know that the defense is really, really good. And that's not an indictment. That is a very glowing endorsement of how good the unit is. And good luck, good luck Nick Foles trying to deal with that this weekend. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they're... They're in a lot of trouble. I, I think Atlanta's going to go up there and handle business. Uh, speaking of handling business and being in trouble, the Saturday night <laughs> game, uh, Tennessee is a 13-and-a-half-point underdog in New England. I know there are going to be some Titan fans who say, we were big underdogs going into Kansas City, and we, we won that game. Fuck. I'm a Chiefs fan. Those two things are not comparable. Okay, Kansas City finds every way imaginable to lose in big spots. Okay, The, the Chiefs really... If you looked at if the, if the Chiefs were to write an anthology of their history, the, the front cover would be someone choking themselves to death. Okay, the Pats are going to roll Tennessee, roll Tennessee to the point that, frankly, if this line was double, I might pick New England to cover this game. Uh, I think I think New England is going to absolutely just handle the Titans. Marcus Mariota, like everybody's all enthralled because he stiff-armed the, the safety in the, against Jacksonville Week 17. He blocked Frank Zombo in the wild card round. That's nice. Unless unless Marcus Mariota plays better as a quarterback, they're losing this game. Because against Kansas City, 
He was not good. He barely threw for over 200 yards. One of his touchdown passes went to himself on one of the wildest plays you'll ever see. He threw a pick in the red zone. Marcus Mariota is not beating New England in this game. I, I would, look, I would go as far as to say this. If the Titans win this game, it will be the biggest upset of my 29-year-old life. Okay, I, I can't, I, I saw Jacksonville go to Denver and beat, beat Denver in 96, and that was a huge upset. I saw the Colts go into Arrowhead in 95 and beat the Chiefs. That was a huge upset. Okay, of course, New England losing as an undefeated team to the Giants in the Super Bowl, another huge upset. This one, this one would be at the top of the list. So give me New England, not only to win, but but to, we might see Brian Hoyer in this game at some point. This is going to be a hammering. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be good. And it's kind of unfortunate, too. I mean, it, you never want to shy away from watching playoff football. But if you have other things to do on Saturday, I don't think you're going to go around canceling plans to try to, you know, strap in and watch Falcons, Eagles, and then follow that up with, uh, you know, Patriots and the Titans. That's that's not what you're really looking for. Um, look, I don't know what to say about the Titans other than, you know, you might want to watch it with one eye open. The, the most unfortunate thing I think about what happened with the Kansas City Chiefs game is the Chiefs gifted Mike Malarkey another year that is that welcome AFC South that is yeah that's something that we shouldn't really sleep on here because and nothing against Mike Malarkey I'm sure he's a great guy and you never want to you know see you never want to advocate for someone to be fired but in the NFL you can kind of look at these things and say I don't know maybe there's a better guy for the job you know Chicago just filled their their head coaching job without somebody named Josh McDaniels. It looks like the Giants are probably going to go with somebody not named Josh McDaniels. Ditto with, with uh, Detroit. He's still out there. And I don't know if Tennessee would go after him, but could you imagine whatever the Titans are doing right now with Mike Malarkey, if they, or with uh, Marcus Mariota, if they took out Mike Malarkey and installed an actual scheme, installed an actual offense, and played to their strengths, my God, all of a sudden, that's a different team. Like they didn't, There's a reason, I think, that Derrick Henry is like one of the best fourth-quarter running backs this season. It's because I think Malarkey and his offensive coordinator forget that he's on the team and can run. Because throughout the whole first three quarters of that game, Derrick Henry was just whatever. You, and then in the fourth quarter, he busts out. One thing that won't happen, though, in New England is they're not going to allow Marcus Mariota to throw touchdown passes to himself. That was a fluke. It was a nice play to see. It was a fun little highlight. That type of thing does not happen against New England, whether you like the defense or not. And I think that it's going to be a humbling for, for Tennessee, not unlike the game, you know, kind of to a lesser degree, but the AFC Championship game, the Flategate with uh, the Colts, where everybody was up high and mighty about Andrew Luck. Oh, my God, he's finally going to do it. He's going to get to the Super Bowl, and they just got hammered in the AFC Championship game. And it was a humbling that kind of set that franchise back. Granted, kind of. They're, We're still waiting for them to get up. I mean, you know, you, you have to be fair. The, the Andrew Luck injury has been, been a huge part of that. But I feel like something like that's going to happen to Tennessee. It was a good run. I don't want to take anything away from Titans fans because I've been in this position too as a fan. I'm sure you have, Verderam, and everybody has. You're not expecting the win. You win the game. That's great. It's just I don't think anybody's ever come off such a high before and then looked at such a daunting task. Not going to happen. I, was, I, was, I remember that time. I was five when the Chiefs last won a playoff game that nobody expected them to win. Um, and then they went to Buffalo and Montana got concussed on that concrete asphalt in, uh, in, in wonderful western New York. Okay, so uh, I'm a little bit of folks. Sorry. So Sunday, 
Uh, Jacksonville at Pittsburgh, 1 o'clock Eastern. Pittsburgh favored by 7.5. This game, to me, is not you know, nearly the mismatch that, that Tennessee and New England is. I, I want to put that out there. Pittsburgh, as I've been reminded by every person in Duval County over the last couple of weeks, lost to Jacksonville in Week 5, 30-9. What? <laughs> yeah, you, wouldn't, you don't say, right? Okay, Ben Roethlisberger in that game threw five picks. That's when everybody thought the Steelers were dead. Then they went to Arrowhead. They clocked the Chiefs. The Chiefs never fully recovered, and Pittsburgh's never looked back. Um, this game, to me, I think the line's about right. Look, Jacksonville, if you haven't watched them all year long, Jacksonville's defense is outrageous. And Hill, you died on that hill before the year started and you were dead on. I mean, they've been unbelievable. Um, they have corners that can absolutely give Pittsburgh issues. The problem in this game is that you aren't great against the run. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh, in my opinion, is going to jam the ball down their throat in this game. I think Le'Veon Bell's going to have a good game. In fact, I think he's going to have a very good game. The Steelers have a very underrated offensive line. People don't talk about them because they talk about all skill position players, but that line is, is no joke. Uh, Pittsburgh's very healthy offensively. Everybody's going to be there. Uh, I think Jacksonville hangs around because I don't think that defense allows them to get blown out. The problem, and God knows if you've listened to us, you know what I'm going to say, Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles did not throw off for 100 yards in that win in Pittsburgh. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Wait, every time you wake up is the same day? That's terrible. Yeah, don't worry. I call Progressive. Their 24-7 protection still works, even if my day does last forever. Yeah, but don't you want it to end? Are you kidding? I win the lottery whenever I want and never regret anything. It's the best. Yeah, that's a good point. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. In week five, so people can say, well, they, you know, they won that game that way. Ben Roethlisberger's not throwing five picks in this game. Mm-hmm. Okay, They are going to make Blake Portals beat them. In January, in Pittsburgh, they're not going to let Leonard Fournette run the ball. They are going to demand that Bortles throw the ball to win this game. And unlike Buffalo, Pittsburgh's not scoring three points. Okay, so unless Bortles shocks me and plays a great game, Jacksonville is going to play tough. They're going to hang tough, but they're going to go home. Yeah, Jacksonville gave up over 100 yards on the ground to the, uh, to the Bills if you split it up between McCoy, Taylor, and Tolbert. They don't play good against the run. That's always been a problem, and it's always concerned me. And I'm going to circle back to something else that I said that I thought might happen last week, but didn't, but we're primed for it. And we kind of looked like we were getting there at one point. But this one of the reasons this Jaguars defense is so good is because it has so much swagger, and it has so much attitude and so much edge. But we saw against the 49ers, and we saw against the Seahawks in a game that they won, what happens when that swagger and that edge turns inside of itself and we saw 15 yard penalties against the Seahawks which didn't actually end up costing them but it did cost them against the 49ers and they prevented a comeback Malik Jackson 15 yard penalty game over Uh, they were having some problems against the Titans in week 17 and they were getting a little chippy there when the game was tight against the Bills and the offense wasn't working really well and Tyrod Taylor was putting together some good drives and uh, Shady McCoy was, was busting through some holes on the defensive line they started to get a little chippy you know we saw some little action after the play that was against the Bills, okay? You go up against Pittsburgh, which is A, a better team, and B, coached by Mike Tomlin, who, you know, as nice of a guy he is, loves to play head games. He will get inside the head of that defense, and he will make them make some mistakes that is going to cost them field position. And I think that that's going to be something to watch here. Everybody's going to harp on Blake Bortles. 
rightfully so. He's terrible. He rushed for more yards than he threw in a playoff game. This idea that, you know, I, and I love Jaguars fans, and I've died on the hill, and I feel like, you know, I'm invested in Duval County somehow. Look, you're investing a lot of bad things. In yeah, I really are. You need to like divest completely and then maybe like detox from Florida. And then yeah, I need, a, I need to re- rethink some life decisions here. But this idea that Blake Bortles, that he did put up the stats that he put up against Pittsburgh the first time and against Buffalo, and you can turn around and be like, but he won. It's impressive. It's not impressive. It's embarrassing. And I think it's one of the reasons why this defense is so on edge all the time because you are in a wild card game where they have allowed three points. They are playing so well, and the offense cannot pull away and that's going to weigh heavy on them and I think that that's going to be blown up under the microscope against Pittsburgh because Ben Roethlisberger is not Tyrod Taylor and you know Le'Veon Bell is going to be gashing them Antonio Brown it's going to be bad I love the Jaguars I think the season ends I don't think it's a blowout but I you can't look at this game and say yeah Blake Bortles is winning so all right so let's let's spin it forward then quickly let's let's look at it this way all right you mentioned Tyrod Taylor so we'll throw him into Bills have a have a decision to make mm-hmm. on Tyrod. Okay, and that the clock's ticking. Uh, you know, they're going to have to make the decision for the new league year, which I believe is March 14th. Um, and Blake Bortles as well. Now, Blake Bortles, if the, he has a fifth-year option. Mm-hmm. It's picked up. They can cut him at no cost, provided he's not injured. They can save $19 million. Tyrod Taylor, they can cut him, and I believe they save nine on the cap. I'm going to double-check that while I'm talking. Um, but... What do you do? You think that either one of the let's let's put it this way. What are the percentages? Let's assume Jacksonville loses this weekend. What are the percentages of those guys are back to teams? I I would say that it's pretty close to zero for Tyrod Taylor, just because you don't bench him in the middle of the season for Nathan Peterman if you don't have the intention of moving on from him in the offseason. Let's be real about that. Sean McDermott that blew up in his face. He thought Peterman was going to go out, play well, or play efficient enough to where he would concoct a quarterback controversy and he would have to choose between his two children and he would choose Nathan Peterman. That didn't work. Now he has to divorce the whole family and start from new. So I think that Tyrod Taylor, he'll, be, he'll land somewhere because he's not a bad quarterback. If you put him in the right system that'll play to his strengths, his mobility, I think he'll be fine. As far as Blake Bortles is concerned, he will be back because it's a comfort food thing. They're going to look at it, and they're going to say, who can we go and get that is better than Blake Bortles? And the, the, the uh, eye test answer is anybody. But I think that Jacksonville is going to look at it, and they're going to say, Kirk Cousins isn't coming here. Are we going to draft his replacement like Lamar Jackson, but then we're going to have to keep a veteran quarterback here, and it's not going to be Chad Henney because, you know, Bortles and Henney are kind of 1A, 1B at this point. And then it's like, who else is out there? The quarterback class, the free agency class, there's nobody out there. So I think that this is a case where Bortles got to the playoffs. It's kind of like the malarkey thing. It's really hard to move on from a guy who is giving you success. It's misguided success because he's not playing well. But I think that he earned himself one more year, both because it's hard to move on from a guy who's bringing you to the, to the AFC divisional round. And also, if you look at who else is out there, if you can't land Kirk Cousins, if you can't somehow trade for Eli Manning, I mean, just it worked well enough this year. Either let it work again next year and then move on or let him fall off the face of the earth and then clean break. Yeah, look, I'm with you. I don't think Taylor has any hope of coming back. He almost says they would save just about $10 million by cutting him. Ah. And look, I got to be fair. You know what? Tyrod Taylor, there's no reason 
to keep him at this point. He has not earned that job. He's played all right. I'm not saying Taylor can't play in the NFL, but he can't. I'll say this with one caveat to be fair to him. He has never had an offensive coach. They've never put any weapons around that guy. Like, if I'm Denver and he gets cut, I look at Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. I'm looking at Tyrod. Now, again, I don't know if it's a great situation for him. He's going to a defensive-minded head coach. They don't have great weapons, but they do have some receivers at least. But, like, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm cut, like, depending on who Arizona brings in as a head coach, like, I'm looking there. I'm looking at those situations because I do think Taylor can play, but I, I think in Buffalo it's an untenable situation. So I think he goes. The Bills have the 21st and the 22nd pick in the NFL draft. It would have been the Chiefs pick the 22nd, but the Chiefs moved up from Holmes last year. Which, by the way, how much better do the Bills look right now if they have Patrick Mahomes? Oh, jeez. <laughs> like, I mean, look, they ended up taking Tredavious White with the, with the Chiefs pick, the 27th pick, and they have some draft capital this year, so fair enough. But, like, from what we saw from Mahomes, and it was a limited sample size, mm-hmm. but or Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Like, they could have had either one of those guys, and they decide not to take him. May turn out okay in the long term, but right now, it looks a little questionable. So... That being said, also it's got to be said, new general manager, though. Yeah. Doug Whaley made those moves. He was yeah. fired the day after the draft and Brandon Bean came in. Um, with Bortles, I don't know. I, they should the, – the, the right answer here is negative 100%. Like, he should <laughs> – they should cut him at halftime of this game. He should give money back. Yeah, really. I mean, it's, they should sue him. For, you know, but I, I don't know. I think I could see them looking at this and saying, well – can we get somebody better? My gut says he's gone. And they will yeah. look at one of those Minnesota quarterbacks. Ooh, that's Case good. Keenum, Sam Bradford, Sam Bradford. Bridgewater. All three of them are free agents. Now, Minnesota's probably going to retain one of them, obviously. But, like, one of them's available. Kirk Cousins, maybe. That's a that's going to be an insane bidding war. That's the only reason I, you know, I don't I don't handicap their odds. It's great. But they'll be in the mix. You know, I don't think the Chiefs trade him. Alex Smith there. I just don't see that. So, I think they're both gone. I think Taylor's definitely gone. I think Bortles is probably gone. Bortles wins this game, though, by some miracle. Buckle up. (laughs) Um, All right. So, let's get to the last game of the weekend. Uh, And I think, frankly, it might be the best game of the playoffs. We talked about this. We said this was the matchup we want to see going into this weekend, and we get it. New Orleans at Minnesota. Minnesota favored by four in the games. But Vegas thinks the Vikings are a point better on a neutral field. I love this game. Uh, you know, you follow the NFC South so closely. I'll, I'll let you, you know, take uh, take lead off here. But I, I cannot wait for this game at 4:40 Eastern uh, on Sunday afternoon. This is the best game of the weekend by far. And I would say, when everything's all said and done, this might end up being the best game of the playoffs because it does change so much of the NFC playoff picture hinges on whoever wins this game. So let's say Atlanta wins against Philadelphia because everybody's assuming that. It is two entirely different matchups for the Falcons if they get Minnesota or if they get New Orleans. And moving you know, to this game, I think that this comes down to Sean Payton and how well he has adjusted this team. Everybody's going to go and look, and my Vikings fans' friends have already started doing this. Oh, but look at week one. It just, you know, they, they roasted them week one. It was, you know, we, we got their number. No, you don't, because it's a different team. Adrian Peterson was on that team. He changed a lot of things with that running back situation. The Vikings defense has not seen Alvin Kamara and uh, uh, Ingram in the form that they are in. And that is very important. Because you talk about the no-fly zone with Xavier Rhodes, who is, you know, you talked about Trufant being the best cornerback you want to talk about. 
I think that Xavier Rhodes is on that level where if he has a good playoff run here, he's going to elevate himself to that's the best cornerback in football because he's really good. That no-fly zone might be able to take Michael Thomas out of, the, out of action. It might be able to take Ted Ginn Jr. out. But then you're accounting for that linebacking core being able to slow down Kamara and Ingram. And I don't know if they're equipped to do that because they didn't see him the first time around. And it's a different team. And at the end of the day, it's Drew Brees in the playoffs. He can smell another Super Bowl, which what could be his swan song. He might retire if he wins the Super Bowl. That is, you know, as a player, that's the dream. You don't get this close and go, oh, maybe there's next year. Because who knows? Maybe this, maybe this is the, a one-year fluke for the Saints and they kind of regress. The Vikings are very, very good. I don't want to take anything away from them. And it seems really unfair, and I'm sorry if it is. But at some point, the Case Keenum shoe is going to start dangling again. And I just wonder if the pressure of being in the situation he is in is going to get to him. Look, he played good all season long. Can't take anything away from him. It is the absolute end now. It is winner go home. There is no margin for error. Does that get inside of the head of Case Keenum? Does that get inside of the head of a Vikings organization that historically, when put in a big spot in the playoffs more likely than not to lay an egg. So Listen, it's tough. I'll speak as, as someone with a master's degree in laying an egg in the playoffs. <laughs> okay, every single person who's a Vikings fan, God knows, you know, plenty of them being from Minnesota, even if they won't say it out loud, the fear is, is just yeah. devastatingly there. Like, I, believe me, I spent all week as someone who roots for Kansas City saying to myself, I respect Tennessee. They're a playoff team. Any team that gets to the playoffs is good. But there's no way the Chiefs lose this game unless they, frankly, just piss down their leg. And then I spent all week thinking to myself, they wouldn't do it again. They wouldn't do this to me again. (laughs) And the second Marcus Mariota caught his own pass for a touchdown, ball game. Everyone in that stadium immediately realized they were duped. And they were no longer going to a football game. They had, in fact, attended a funeral. Like, everybody in that stadium. I I bet you if you pulled all 76,000 people in that stadium... Okay, maybe you take out 5,000 Titans fans and you pulled every Chief fan in that building. When did you know? I guarantee you that was the moment they all said, we're screwed, game's over. You could hear it in that state. And then, my God, when, when Harrison Bucker hit that oh, field goal geez. off the upright, you, you could just hear it like that. <gasps> just, they could, they should have just marched out the field, you know, the big, the big uh, flag covering yeah. field. They, they should have just had like Tarpet. the big 100-yard flag come out and they could have just pulled it over and then just like pulled it over the Chiefs' sideline. And they could have played taps and everybody could have went home. Now, back to this game. Why do I bring up all the Chiefs stuff? Because it's the same mentality in Minnesota. If anything goes wrong in this game, if there's a tip pass that should have been picked off by Rhodes and and it's caught by Michael Thomas and he goes for a touchdown, like everybody in that building immediately is going to go, oh my God. And they're going to start thinking about Gary Anderson. They're going to start thinking about Brett Favre. They're going to start thinking about uh, the, the drop pass in 87 in the NFC title game. I believe it was Anthony Carter. Like, 41 to nothing. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, right. Jeez, that doesn't even register. They've had so many horrible losses. Like, everybody in that stadium is going to immediately go to that and go, well, here it comes again. That all said, you you know, I want to touch on a few things you mentioned. You mentioned the no-fly zone. Okay. By the way, that how many teams are going to call their the second the no-fly? Like, Denver has the no-fly zone. Uh, but they have a great secondary. Yeah. So I think it'll be tough for Briefs to pass. Uh, I think it also has to be said Minnesota has a great front. Mm-hmm. They they can bring pressure. You're talking about guys. I mean, Anthony Barr's a good player. Linville Joseph, one of the most underrated players in the league. I mean, yeah, they, they have all kinds of talent in that front seven. Eric Kendrick's a really good linebacker. 
week one they played each other, Sam Bradford was the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he was incredible. But that was it. Dalvin Cook rushed for 127 yards and 520 yeah. yards per carry. He's not there. And the Saints, Alvin Kamara had seven carries. Mark Ingram had six. That's not going to happen in this game. So I throw that game out. To me, it really doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the Saints all year long. We've both really been high on them. I really like the Saints. I really do. And I love Minnesota as well. So this is a coin flip for me, but I'm taking the Saints. I think the, I think the experience of quarterback and the experience of these big games at head coach, it matters. And it matters for me with the Atlanta pick. That was a difference for me and what I thought was a coin flip last weekend. I think it's a coin flip again. Same thing. I'm taking the Saints. And I got to tell you, if they host the Falcons in the, in the NFC title oh, game, boy. A, great game, but B, they're probably going to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I, I would really, really like to see that because I think the Saints are awesome to watch. One thing that we talked about earlier in the season, I believe it was around Thanksgiving, is you take a look at little things that go wrong in a game and they add up in, they, they just compound in ways that you can't even imagine in a playoff game. And I mentioned the uh, Detroit game with Minnesota. Missed extra point here, you know, botched running scheme there. That all adds up, especially when the margin for error is so small. I feel like Minnesota, they are a good team, but every single year, and we saw this with Los Angeles, every single year you look at the playoff bracket and you go, this is how it's going to go, okay? Then you have to go back and say, which one of these games is not going to go the way that I expect? And the idea that Minnesota is going to float into the Super Bowl and be the first team in NFL history to host the Super Bowl in their own building, it's, it's a really good story, and that's nice these types of things, this isn't really an analytical thing. This is just from, you know, my quarter century of watching football. These types of narratives almost never play out. It is so special, the idea that the Vikings could host the Super Bowl, because it has never happened before in the entire history of football. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's so hard. And that's when things start to compound, whether it's on the field things like the Saints are a different team. They're, you know, the Case Keenum's your quarterback. Does he have the experience? And then you take outside forces like how much is that narrative weighing on them? How much is, you know, all of the past failures of the Vikings in the postseason going to weigh on them? All of those things matter. And the, the idea that you can just dismiss them, you know, you said it as a Chiefs fan, as, oh, that, you know, Gary Anderson was 1998. Was different team, different players, different era. It carries over. And you mentioned the fans, the energy in the building. That's where it carries over. Now, they call it, you know, the House of Pain, whatever, Valhalla, whatever you want to call the Vikings. You call it whatever you want. You call it a place with no banners. Yeah. Okay? That's what exactly. it is. So, look, I love the Vikings. For my Vikings fans, friends, I hope they win because, God, I've seen those people suffer so much over my, the course of my life. This just has all the makings of a game where the Vikings go in very confident. It's going to be a close game, and it's going to be a really good game. But I think that at the end of the day, the Saints are going to come out of it because they've got Drew Brees. They have Sean Payton. Unless he goes for it on fourth down like he did against the, 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 uh, the Panthers, uh, I think that the Saints are going to get out of this one. And like you said, watch out because then you talk about narratives. Drew Brees retiring on top at the end of the season. Potentially going up, you have a Super Bowl of Brady versus Brees. Who goes out on top? Sign me up for that every single day of the week. Listen, you know what? And, and I want to say too, because... I, I spend a lot of time criticizing Cam Newton. Whenever we talk about the Panthers, we lost the Saints. Um, I, I was really impressed with Cam Newton yeah. on Sunday. You know what? He, to me, is a little overrated. He's 
inaccurate a lot of the times. He throws too many stupid picks. But you know what? Fair is fair. And I just wanted to point that out. Cam Newton played a great game. You look at 24-40. Ah, listen, he was under pressure that whole game. Threw for 349 yards, a couple of touchdowns. And quite honestly, if he had anybody who could catch a pass at the receiver position, I think they would have won the game. I really do. And I think they were outmanned by New Orleans, although the Carolina Ross are certainly talented. But you look at the receiving uh, numbers from that game. Greg Olson, tight end, 107 yards. Christian McCaffrey, running back, slash slot guy, 101 yards. Devin Funches is the only receiver that's even worth talking about. They had something named Keelan Clay catching a pass. Brenton Burson, <laughs> Russell Sh- I mean, what are we talking about? I, you know, look, I give Newton a lot of credit in that game. I thought that they were going to get beat. You know, fairly handily, and they were early on. They couldn't finish, but, you know, he had a touchdown pass dropped on him. You know, I thought, frankly, at the end of the game, we both thought he threw a touchdown pass to Funches, yep. who, who I don't Dropped know what it. he was doing in the end zone. He, he, he was right there, and he just didn't catch it. But I, I just want to say that. I just want to say I, I give Newton a lot of credit, and I, I was really impressed by, by his efforts. So kudos to him. Fortunately for them, not enough. Uh, and then so you, you, move, you move forward. The Saints, look. You know, the Saints didn't have to rely on Breeze all year, but the, the Panthers in that game said you are not running the ball. The, the Saints had run for 150-plus yards, over five yards of carry in both of their previous matchups. In this, in this game, the Saints carried the ball 22 times for 41 yards. The Saints had 1.9 yards per attempt in that game. They could not do anything. And Breeze threw for 376 yards and a couple of touchdowns. That's what makes them so dangerous. If they force the Saints to throw the ball in Minnesota on Sunday, and I know Minnesota's secondary is better than Carolina's, but I don't care. Like that Breeze is a Hall of Famer for a reason. I think they win. And, and frankly, i got to be honest, I think it's the hardest game for them in the whole playoffs because I think no matter who they get in the NFC title game, I think they're much better than them. I think they're better than Philadelphia. And the, and the Falcons scare me more, but the game's at home. Yeah. The game's at Superdome. So... Uh, and I just want to see, as, as someone who has really no genuine rooting interest at this point, because my team is, is, is dead and has killed me on the inside again, uh, I just would love to see a Saints in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I really would. I'd love to see Breeze going against either Big Ben. Yeah. That actually might be the one. Like, we, we were just talking about, you know, maybe Brady going out on top. But Brady doesn't think he wants to retire. It's true, yeah. Big Ben like, would be the Big one. Big Ben really yeah. might. Like, Big Ben, I could see him. If they want him just saying, you know what, look, I'm, I'm you know, I've gotten hit enough. I got, I got kids at home. I'm, I'm ready to go, you know, into that rocking chair. I don't know that Brady would. Like, Brady's all about his pliability and all sort of crap. TB12. Which actually, we'll, we'll close with that since uh, we we're actually run a little short this time. Usually we go over. But um, ESPN Seth Wickersham was a great, uh, great uh, writer. Excuse me. He, he wrote a long, detailed piece about how he believes uh, from conversations he's had that this could be the end of the Pats dynasty. Um, you know, that they, they might have to break up that power trio of, of owner Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady. Uh, Belichick has come out and vehemently denied that, says that it was an, unbi- an unbased uh, claim in terms of having to break that up, that he felt that a lot of the comments were unfounded, uh, you know, and that he wants to be in New England going forward. Kraft has stated his support that he would, would like to keep everybody in house. What do you take away from that piece that Wickersham wrote? I mean, everybody's killing Wickersham 
mostly Patriots fans because they say it's fake news, all this kind of stuff. But Wickersham's a really good writer, and he's a really good investigative journalist. So he's not just going to throw things up against the wall to be like, hey, I got another hit piece on the Patriots. He doesn't care. He's not invested in the Patriots' downfall. Nobody is. It's, you know, it's one of the greatest eras in football history. Nobody wants to see it end. Every, it's kind of like, you know, not to the great degree that the Warriors are in basketball, but you want to see who's going to be the one that daggers Brady, who's going to be the team that takes down the Patriots' dynasty. It's, gonna, it's not going to be Seth Wickersham and some ESPN piece. As far as what's in the piece itself, I absolutely believe it. I maybe don't think that things are as dire straits as we think. I do believe 100,000% that at some point we're going to have a retrospective documentary, whether it's a football life or whatever, and you're going to have a nice chunk in there with Bill Belichick talking about how, you know, I really knew it was about the end of, the end of my run when, we, when I let Garoppolo go. And that's going to be, unfortunately, him letting Garoppolo go to San Francisco is going to be a part of his legacy because that was the succession plan. He had it in place. And we cannot discount how much that is going to throw off the team moving forward. As far as everybody breaking up, I think that when Jonathan Kraft takes over the team, whenever Robert Kraft succeeds his power, whether it's for morbid reasons or, or not, that's going to be your, the end of times. That's going to be when Kraft goes, then Brady's going to go, then Belichick's going to go, and that's when you're going to have the turnover. I don't think that's going to happen for a couple of more years because the, not, we were just saying it about Brady. Belichick doesn't want to go anywhere either. What is Belichick going to do? Is he going to take a GM job somewhere? He's his own GM right now. Like, what is he, I don't understand this idea that, oh, they're going to go off to these other places. There's no greener pastures than New England. Belichick's not going to New York because why would he? Tom Brady's going to retire in New England because why would he not? They're not going to get rid of him. It is a brain trust. And no hit pieces before with Spygate, Deflategate, any of that stuff has broken this band up. And this isn't going to do, if anything, if anything, this motivates them to go win another Super Bowl. Middle fingers up, and that's it. Because that's what they do. Uh, I, I mean, I, I agree, basically. Look, I don't think, I mean, come on. You're talking about three guys who are some of the most successful men in America, okay? Kraft owns the damn team. He's not going <laughs> anywhere. Where's he going? And, and I don't mean to crush Gary Myers of the New York Daily News because he's a respected writer. He's been there a long time. His story about the Belichick would be intrigued to coach the Giants. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The man is 65 years old. Do you think he wants to go over there and start a rebuilding project with the Giants? Look, I understand he was the assistant, you know, he's a defense coordinator that won a couple Super Bowls in Parcells' reign. He's not going to the Giants. He's going to finish up. My guess is when Brady retires, Belichick retires, and then into that good night. Okay, I, that to me is how this is going to go down. I know Brady wants to play at least, you know, 45 years old. It's not going to happen. At some point, you know, Brady's going to have an Achilles go out on him. We know he was hurt with that a lot this year. Or Brady's arm's just going to go out. Or I mean, whatever it is. Look, And you don't know when it's going to be because mm. Manning, Peyton Manning, had the greatest season of quarterbacks ever had. And the next year, it was done. By the end of the next season, it was totally shot. So, look, I, I think that Brady will play as long as he can. Belichick will coach, uh, you know, New England until Brady's done. I think Belichick's got his son on the coaching staff. He probably mm. enjoys spending time with his kids. But, I mean, come on. They're not going anywhere. You think they trade Brady? And look, you know what? There probably was some some complaining and and you know, for the lack of a better term, you know, bitching and moaning, going back and forth and mm-hmm. and all that when Garoppolo got dealt. 
I think the Patriots handled that horribly. They should have traded him when they could have gotten a couple of first-round picks for him or a first-round pick maybe as it was. I mean, one of them, depending on who they traded him to, back in the draft season. But they didn't. And, uh, you know, you, you live with that. Look, Garoppolo, if Brady's not going to retire, they had two choices. Let Garoppolo go, move on from him, or cut Brady. You're not cutting Brady. Like, no. I don't care. I know you feel He's 41. That's nice. He's 40. He's old. He's also going to be the NFL MVP this year. And the man has been to seven Super Bowls. You're not moving on from Tom Brady. Look, I don't care how good Jimmy Garoppolo is. He's not Tom Brady. So this was an inevitable ending. And, you know, maybe Belichick didn't like the way they handled it. Maybe Brady did request that he get traded. Like, who knows? But that, that to me, does not mean that all of a sudden, you know, everything's falling apart in New England. Like, they're, they're fine. They, well, they dealt with worse crap than this with the flake gate and spy gate and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll wrap up in this and, and let you have the floor to finish. But the idea that name me one great dynasty, whether it's a band in music, whether it's a great film, whether it's a sports dynasty, name me one great historic iconic thing that has been created and everybody's been friends. Come on, look at the... Uh, the, the, the Cowboys dynasty in the 90s, it got broken up because, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones ended up hating each other. Look at, you know, the Beatles. The Beatles broke up. <laughs> like, you're telling me this idea that everything's hunky-dory and Belichick, Kraft, and Brady are going on picnics in New England and, you know, the, the countryside every weekend and talking about their feelings and talking about their plans. That, come on. No, these things work because they are, like you said, such egos. They are such the most successful men in America. That works because they know how to work together. Doesn't mean they have to be friends. Doesn't mean that all the decisions that they make are going to be ones that they agree on and sign off on. But look, you ask anybody, ask them, would you rather have, you know, 15, 20 years of friendship or would you rather have some bumpy roads and also go to seven Super Bowls and win a handful of them? Come on, the answer is pretty obvious. So let's just be real about that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But yes, every, every great dynasty, every great partnership typically... You know, that, that's what kind of happens. You know, people get power hungry. People want credit. There's a reason when teams win the Super Bowl that a lot of times guys leave. Why? For more money. Because they feel like they were a bigger part of the championship than they're given credit for. That's usually what happens. And, you know, that's the way it goes. So, that all being said, uh, for Josh Hill, I'm Matt Verderam. This has been the Stack in the Box podcast again. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be with you not only through the end of the season, but year-round. Every Monday... Uh, you know, I'm sure at some point here, one of us will be on vacation or something. Maybe one of us will go solo, but uh, it'll go on. We'll be talking, you know, well through the Super Bowl and then the free agency and the draft, and it, it never ends. It never ends, um, and and we love it. Uh, you know, even even though we root for teams, well, you had no hope this year, and my nope. hope was was stomped down my throat. Um, but that's okay. So, hopefully, if your team's in the playoffs this weekend, your team wins. Good luck. Uh, divisional round, for my money, is the best round in the NFL. I think it's great. So sit back, clear your schedule, enjoy it. And again, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked it, please give it a rating. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a comment. If you didn't like it, then you know, don't leave a comment. Don't be that guy. But thank you very much, Josh Hill, Matt Verderan. Check out all of our work on fansided.com. And enjoy the divisional round of the 2017-18 NFL playoffs. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. 
And quick dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com.